Natalie Wood, one of Hollywood's most iconic stars, had a fear of dark water. How could it be then that her body was found one mile away from the boat where she was holidaying with her husband and rumoured lover? This is Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Zara McDonald. Hello. We're back. Michelle Andrews, I probably should have said your name. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't usually eat a large meal before recording. <laughs> I have inhaled a burrito bowl before we start today. So if my brain starts to get a bit foggy about 20 minutes in, we all know what's happening. Was it good? It was great. But Worth you know, it? You know that afternoon slump you find yourself in <laughs> when you eat too much? That is about where I'm going to find myself. Anyway, it is good to be back for part two of our Natalie Wood series. We really went back into the archives for this one, didn't mm. we? And went right back to the start of her life. Yeah. But before we say anything else, let's also acknowledge the scandal. <laughs> Listeners, we absolutely enraged last week. It was a scandal within a scandal, if you will. We admitted in last week's episode that we didn't recognise the name of Wallace Simpson and that was absolutely us showing our age, Zara. Yeah, <laughs> here is our apology for being born in 1994 and skipping a couple of seasons of The Crown. <laughs> the funniest part is we told people we'd seen The Crown but we only started at season four. Well, I caught episodes of earlier seasons but I haven't watched the Wallace Simpson season. Well, here we go. Wallace Simpson was the divorced American socialite who fell in love with King Edward VIII and then ultimately paved the way for Queen Elizabeth to ascend the throne. People who know Wallace Simpson will be nodding along <laughs> with me. So please accept our grovelling apology. Perhaps it's a good topic to cover in future episodes. Clearly as 1994 babies, we have a lot to learn. Who knew as well reading out a gossip column passage from like 40 years ago would land us in so much hot water. The funny thing about this little scandal was it had nothing to do with Natalie Wood nothing anyway. at all. We just showed ourselves to be like ignorant 94 kids. So please guys accept our apology and also a hat tip to the people who said her name is pronounced Wallace. I back us that we would have pronounced it Wallace if it read as Wallace in the gossip column. The gossip columnist was tongue-in-cheek referring to her by her nickname in the column. Exactly. What a shambles. Back to Natalie, though. What did we cover last week? So on last week's episode, we introduced Natalie Wood. We looked at the trajectory of her career from child star to, like, international adult stardom. She was an icon. She was an absolute Queen of the stage, am I allowed to say that? Queen of the stage, queen of the camera? Queen of the screen? Queen of it all, really. She was absolutely huge. She was, of course, married to Robert Wagner, another actor who wasn't quite so successful. They got divorced, they got remarried. Where did we leave last week? So we left last week with a note that she was about to go on a boat trip with her husband, Robert Wagner, and her rumoured lover, Christopher Walken. She was starring at the time with Christopher Walken in a film called Brainstorm and somehow the three of them were about to go on a boating trip together where she would actually die. Yeah, and before we rewind back to the point in 1981 where we left our listeners in last episode, I think it needs to be said it's a great contradiction of this story that we're talking about an actress with a massive fear of water who has multiple incidents across her lifetime involving water and involving boats. Yeah, 100%. So on today's show, we are going to start by first covering the story that the public was initially told about Natalie's death, exactly what the public was fed. And then the one we got much later when more journalists started to do a bit of digging and realised perhaps not everything was as it seemed. Did some dot connecting and the picture looked a little different. Yeah, exactly. So should we rewind back to 1981, Mish? Let's do it. Let's go to 1981. All right. 
right, Zara, we are on Thanksgiving weekend. It is 1981. On the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, Natalie, her husband, Robert Wagner, and her Brainstorm co-star slash rumoured lover, Christopher Walken, all end up going on a boat trip together. Yeah, it's an odd dynamic that's never really properly explained Mm. why it was just the three of them. In the HBO documentary that we touched on last week that was produced with help from Natalie's family, her family did say that she tried to get other friends to go on this trip, but it just so happened that Christopher Walken was the only one who was free. So Christopher Walken, Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood all set off on Natalie and Robert's 55-foot yacht called the Splendor to Catalina Island. Now, Catalina Island was somewhere that they really loved to go to. It was just about 20 or so miles off the coast of LA. It wasn't too far for a weekend trip. And strangely, even though they'd had some like funky things happen to them on water, they seemed to really like being on the boat. Yeah, it's incongruous, but it's absolutely accurate to just how Natalie Wood's life unfurled. Now, they weren't the only three people on the boat. They were joined by a fourth member. That was the boat captain, Dennis Deverne, who was responsible for driving the boat and mooring the boat. Now, the timeline is super important here. And we want to make it really clear to the listeners so everyone's on the same page. On the Saturday, which is the last night that Natalie Wood was alive, the group of four all went out to dinner. They got home from that dinner at 10.30. But one interesting detail that was reported by Vanity Fair was that the night manager of the restaurant where they ate, his name's Don Whiting, said he was so worried by the level of drunkenness that this group had, so worried by how intoxicated they all were, that he actually sent Harbour Patrol to check that they even got back to the boat safely. Yeah, and that's one of the most interesting facts here is that they clearly were very intoxicated by the time they got back onto the boat. So at 1.30 on Sunday morning, three hours after they got back from dinner, Robert Wagner and Dennis Deverne, the ship's captain, called for help and announced that Natalie just wasn't on the boat anymore. Robert Wagner told police that he had gone looking for Natalie, who he thought was getting ready for bed and Mm. couldn't find her. They also noticed at this point that the yacht's dinghy was missing. Yeah, so they get home from dinner at 10.30. At 1.30, Robert and Dennis sound the alarm. At 3.30, the Coast Guard arrives and begins looking for Natalie. Unfortunately, when the sun rose that morning, Natalie's body was discovered floating around a mile away from the yacht. That's about a kilometre and a half. She was wearing nothing but a flannel nightgown, a red down jacket and blue wool socks. 200 metres south from her body, the inflatable dinghy was also found. Wagner was apparently so, so devastated upon this news that he didn't even want to identify the body. Like he left the island and left Dennis Deverne to identify the body of Natalie Wood. Now, that might sound strange if it's your wife, you would you not stay around and identify the body? But I think the thing to consider here is that they had kids back in LA that he mm. probably needed to talk to, who this news was probably already broken to because it was all over the radio. Well, the HBO documentary that you referenced earlier does speak to Natalie Wood's kids who do say they heard it on the radio before their dad even got back. So I think that's understandable that you would rush home to the kids, given your wife is a massive Hollywood celebrity and this is going to be broken by the news. He also reportedly didn't leave bed for days. So two days after all of this happened, two days after Natalie Wood dies, on December 1st, police held a press conference and the LA County Medical Examiner called it a tragic accident while slightly intoxicated. So it very much felt very early in the picture that they had concluded that this just was a very tragic accident. Yeah, so the police found that Natalie had likely untied the dinghy to try and get off the yacht 
had likely hit her face, had some bruising on her face and was probably knocked unconscious. So she and the dinghy were then swept away by the wind and the current and that is why the police had found the dinghy's motor in neutral and the oars untouched. I think you mentioned before when you said that the night manager of the restaurant had noted how intoxicated these people were and the police noted this too, like alcohol may have played, they said, a part in this. Her blood alcohol level was 0.14% because she drunk like seven or eight glasses of wine during that evening. Yeah, and this police theory really did match up with the version of events that all three men on the boat gave at that time. They believed that Natalie had left the Splendour or had tried to leave the Splendour to get off the boat because of an argument. Yeah, so what did all three men say? Because I think their testimonies have been central to what the original narrative that was told Mm. and the changing narrative that has come since. So let's start with Christopher Walken, the third party on this boat, the perhaps rumoured lover, we're not entirely sure. His original police testimony said that Robert and Natalie had been arguing about her working and being away from him and the kids. As you might remember from last week, Natalie had taken quite a big break from acting while she was raising her kids. She'd just gotten back into it. And this is what the argument was about, that suddenly she wasn't the mum that was there all the time. She was the mum that had gone back to work. Yeah. And according to Christopher Walken's testimony, he was trying to kind of pull Natalie back into the workspace to try and encourage her to get back into acting full time. Robert Wagner, the father of her children, was trying to pull her back into motherhood and say, no, no, we need you at home. We can't have you go off and work. So Natalie was in this tug of war between two men in her life. Yeah, exactly. So he said that he got into a bit of an argument with Robert too, because he stood up for Natalie and said that Natalie should be working and he says he stepped outside for air and when he went back in was told that Natalie had gone to bed. Yeah. Robert Wagner told police that everyone was in the cabin reception room when Natalie decided to go to her bedroom. He says they'd been talking about her being away from home and the kids so much and how he missed her being around. He says that Christopher Walken joined in the chat. It ended up being them kind of having this argument back and forth and Natalie had left the room. When he went to go check on Natalie, he discovered she was gone. Now, interestingly, detectives had found broken glass in the room where Robert Wagner said they had this argument. Robert at the time told police that that was probably, and I quote, just from the rough seas. And then we've got Dennis Deverne's testimony, the ship's captain, and his story was pretty similar to Robert Wagner's to begin with. He said that Robert and Natalie had got into a heated discussion. Robert was upset. Christopher was kind of awkward, as you are kind of awkward when you're in the (laughs) middle of another couple fighting and went for a walk on the deck. Natalie, he says, went to get ready for bed. Usually, he said Natalie would come back and say goodnight to everybody. But when she didn't, Robert went looking for her. Yeah, this case is closed just 11 days after Natalie is found dead. Her death is ruled an accident by police. Yeah, and Hollywood are understandably devastated about this. Like she was a huge name in the industry. She was an incredibly talented actress, had a lot of friends in high places and they were really sad about it. She was buried on December 3, 1981 and her body was contained in like this white casket that was draped with white flowers and there were eulogies at the funeral from people like actress Hope Lang, author Thomas Thompson and actor Roddy McDowell. Yeah, American actor Fred Astaire said, it's hard to describe the horror of this thing. Honorary pallbearers included Laurence Olivier, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly, Gregory Peck and, interestingly, Frank Sinatra. Now, of course, in episode one, we covered that Frank Sinatra had an alleged inappropriate and sexually abusive relationship with Natalie when she was just 15 or 16 years old and he was well into adulthood. So very, very interesting that they maintained some form of connection throughout her life to the point where he was a pallbearer. 
Yeah, totally. The Washington Post reported at the time that, as we said, Robert Wagner was incredibly distressed about the death of Natalie. Their quote from their piece was, a sobbing Robert Wagner bent and kissed the flower-covered casket of his wife, Natalie Wood, as she was buried today in the city she loved. About 100 people gathered around the gravesite in the warm afternoon sunshine, bidding farewell to the actress who drowned over the weekend. Mm. A Daily Variety columnist, Army Archard, who is actually a family friend, gave this quote to the media. I think it will take a little time before it hits Robert. It's like he thinks someone made a horrible mistake and Wood will just come walking in the door at any time. Which I think anyone who's experienced grief or death in any form would agree with that sentiment, that idea of shock where you think that you can just pick up the phone and call them or expect them to walk through the front door. What's curious about this is the story we've heard and we've told so far seems pretty straightforward, right? That Mm. people are devastated, she accidentally drowned. But there were murmurings at this point in 1981 that maybe not everything was as it seems. Yeah, well, as we get this storyline that Robert Wagner is a distressed, grieving husband, we get this parallel storyline that perhaps everything is not as it seems. The day of Natalie Wood's funeral was when people actually started talking about alternate theories. So in that Washington post piece where they wrote about Robert Wagner bending down and kissing the casket, they also posited a story from someone who was nearby the boat on the night that Natalie Wood drowned. Marilyn Wayne, who was a stockbroker, told the Washington Post in that piece, my friend woke me up on our boat around 11.45pm and said, do you hear a woman calling for help? I listened through the porthole and I could hear someone saying, help me, somebody help me. Marilyn went on to say that the cries for help stopped around half an hour later at 12.10am and then she said that she and her friend who she didn't identify to the newspaper didn't go to the woman's aid because they thought it was potentially a joke. They thought there was like a rowdy party going on on that boat and they also then heard people call out to the woman, we're coming to get you several times. So Marilyn Wayne was obviously on a neighbouring boat somewhere off the coast of Catalina and what's interesting is she had a very classic thought in her mind at this time. She said, we mulled it over, should we interfere? Boats are funny, people don't want you interfering on their boats, you never know what the reaction will be. Yeah. But the interesting thing about Marilyn and Wayne Mish is that she was never interviewed by the police at the time and she really only came back into the public consciousness properly in 2011 in an interview with CBS's 48 Hours. 48 Hours is a show that kind of goes back through some crime stories in the US and they've done two separate episodes on Natalie Wood, one in 2011 and one in 2018. In the 2011 episode, Marilyn Wayne maintained her side of the story and claims that she was even threatened to keep quiet. Yeah, this is where the story from Marilyn Wayne gets really eerie. She was talking to CBS 48 Hours about going back to work after kind of being on the periphery of this tragic, tragic loss of Natalie Wood. So she went back to work as a stockbroker and this is what she says. I had a client box designed for clients to drop off their messages through a slot in the front. The boxes were opened in the back, labelled by broker name on each end. Three days after Natalie died, I found a scribbled message on a torn piece of paper in my box that read, if you value your life, keep quiet about what you know. I immediately suspected it was related to Natalie Wood's death because that's all anyone had been talking about. I was disturbed and even told an attorney about the threat. So we've got Marilyn Wayne's, as you said, pretty eerie testimony here. I want to talk about Christopher Walken though. As we said, he's the other person in this boat. What was he saying about this at the time? What's also interesting is that he didn't really say anything for a very long time. 
five years after Natalie Wood died, Christopher Walken kind of finally broached the subject with People magazine in an interview when he was asked about it. And his quote was, I don't know what happened. She slipped and fell in the water. I was in bed then. It was a terrible thing. He added, look, we're in a conversation I won't have. It's a fucking bore. This has to be the most perplexing quote ever. How can you describe your good friend's death or being asked about your friend's very mysterious drowning and describe it as a fucking bore? It's not a good turn of phrase to be using. I can imagine that he was probably quite riled up and quite angry because he didn't want to be speaking about this. I mean, the fact that he hadn't spoken about it nearly at all over the course of five years says as much, but what an odd way to phrase it. Yeah, apart from that one People magazine quote, Christopher Walken remained completely silent on the death of Natalie Wood until another 1997 interview where he kind of recounted the night's events in the most detail that we've had from him really ever. This was the quote that he gave in that interview. Anybody there saw the logistics of the boat, the night where we were, that it was raining and would know exactly what happened. He continued, you hear about things happening to people. They slip in the bathtub, fall down the stairs, step off the curb in London because they think the cars are coming the other way and they die. You feel you want to die making an effort at something. You don't want to die in some unnecessary way. What happened that night only Natalie knows because she was alone. She had gone to bed before us and her room was at the back. A dinghy was bouncing against the side of the boat and I think she went out to move it. There was a ski ramp that was partially in the water. It was slippery. I had walked on it myself. She had told me she couldn't swim. In fact, they had to cut a swimming scene from brainstorm. She was probably half asleep and she was wearing a coat. I think that he does have a point there that I think we might touch on probably at the end of this episode about how we are desperate to think that people, particularly people who seem to live extraordinary lives, die in and I say this in inverted commas, extraordinary ways, that it can't just be something innocuous as falling off a boat and just drowning. One other person that I wanted to bring into the fold here is actually Natalie's sister, Lana. Lana wrote a memoir in 1983 called Natalie, a memoir by her sister. Now, Lana's an interesting player in this story because she doesn't think Natalie just slipped and fell and died. But what's interesting about this memoir in itself is that she did touch on the rumoured affair that Natalie was having with Christopher Walken. She wrote, I don't know if Natalie's love affair with Chris was imaginary or real, though my strong suspicion is that it was all in her mind and that perhaps she was only wishing it to be so. Yeah, Lana's not the only person to come out in the years since Natalie's death and say that perhaps this is more suspicious than police first thought. But before we get into that, Zara, let's hear from today's sponsor and then we'll dive right back in. Okay, so Mish, we're actually fast-forwarding to 2000 right now. There's lots of years jumps in this story. 19, to be precise. But that's because not a lot happened for a lot of time, Mm. interestingly. Even though you had murmurings that things were weird or that maybe something untoward had happened, nothing properly ever happened until 2000 when Vanity Fair decided to do a big piece on the death of Natalie Wood. Yeah, so we have Sam Kashner, who is the associate editor of Vanity Fair, to thank for this. He spent a long time doing this investigation investigation and he actually broke two major pieces of evidence in that piece. He published the police report from 1981 for the first time and he conducted an interview with Dennis, the ship captain, who suddenly was giving a whole different recollection of events to what he told police the night that Natalie died. Yeah, and one thing I really quickly want to touch on before we talk about what Dennis said and how his story changed is that Lana Wood and Dennis Deverne are two key players who, yes, 
fly in the face of what Robert Wagner said happened and what Robert Wagner's family say happened, but they also did benefit from Natalie Wood's death in the form of money. Like they Mm. did make a little bit of money in the years after she died. And I think that's always important to note when it comes to people's motivations. That said, both of them absolutely maintain that even though they're making money, they're telling the truth. Should we look at how Dennis Deverne's story changed in this Vanity Fair article? Because this Vanity Fair article laid out not just the Saturday when Natalie apparently stepped off the boat, but they covered the Friday too, which gave really interesting context as to what may be transpired. Yeah, exactly. And I think the one thing that hadn't happened until 2000 was a conversation about what happened in the days before the death too. So the story really starts on the first night of the trip, which was Friday the 27th of November of that Thanksgiving weekend. Dennis Deverne says that Natalie and Robert hadn't just been fighting the night that she'd been missing. They'd actually been fighting all weekend. And on Friday night, Natalie had declared that she wanted to leave the yacht and asked Dennis to take her to shore because the tension on the boat was unbearable. And that is his quote. He took her ashore. So he took her to Catalina Island in the dinghy and they both turned up drunk at a hotel. They booked two rooms to stay on the island, to stay off the boat. But he says they actually stayed in one room together. Dennis promises that they just drank wine and slept and that he was just a genuine friend and confident of Natalie's who was going through a hard time. Yeah. And this puts a different light on things or a different filter on things for me. I think if we now know that potentially this was a married couple who were at each other's throats for the entire weekend, that's different to one drunken fight on one night of the trip. So let's go to Saturday. The next morning, Dennis says that he and Natalie headed back to the yacht. Natalie was so aggrieved, he says, by the fighting, by the tension, that she was actually pretty hell-bent on flying home. Interestingly, Dennis says that Natalie Wood was trying to convince Christopher Walken to fly back with her, to fly back to LA, but Christopher Walken wasn't interested in kind of going with that dynamic and leaving Natalie's husband on the boat while he flew back with her to LA. Yeah, 100%. And that is a weird little bit of a tidbit, isn't it? That she wanted to go, that she wanted Christopher to go with him. But anyway, all we know is that they didn't go home. They stayed on the boat. Fast forward to that night when they actually got back from the dinner that they left very intoxicated. Dennis claims that Robert Wagner had grabbed a bottle of wine and smashed it on the table in front of Natalie and Christopher and accused Christopher of trying to fuck his wife. Mm. They fought and Natalie apparently stormed off. After a couple of minutes, Robert went after her and they fought like crazy. Stuff was getting thrown around, Dennis told Vanity Fair. Yeah, Dennis continued, it was an argument that got quote, so hot and heavy that it carried out into the cockpit. Next thing he says he heard was, quote, the dinghy being untied. You can hear the ropes, the bowline being tugged on. Then he heard silence. Yeah, so he says that Robert came back sweating like he'd been in a really terrible fight. And this was around 11.30 p.m., This time is really important. That's why we kind of really were explicit about the timings earlier in this episode because Robert Wagner says he didn't notice that Natalie Wood was missing until two hours later at 1.30am. So after this fight that Dennis and Robert had another bottle of wine and then Robert said he was going to check on Natalie at that 1.30am timestamp and he appeared a few minutes later and told Dennis she was gone. The next crucial detail Dennis gave is that when Robert went to look for Natalie and noticed the dinghy was gone, it was completely dark. And Dennis says that he was encouraging Robert to turn on the yacht's floodlights to actually be able to look for her and have any kind of visibility. He says that Robert refused. 
Yeah, and I think the big question to ask here is, is Dennis legit? Like, is this man a man worth trusting? Like, why would he tell one version of events to police in 1981 and then come out almost 20 years later with what he actually says happened? Naturally, Vanity Fair wanted to know the same thing. I mean, they're pretty rigorous journalists there. They wanted to know if he could be trusted. Dennis answered that question by saying that when Natalie died, he was basically made a prisoner in Robert Wagner's home. Yeah, which is quite intense language. I'll contextualise why he thought he was Robert Wagner's prisoner. Dennis Deverne says that after Natalie Wood's death, he cried and drank with Robert Wagner a lot. He says he stayed at Robert Wagner's house for three months and realised it was actually very difficult for him to kind of remove himself from the situation. He says there was an alarm system on his door that prevented him from opening his door at night. He had no phone in his room. He says there was a security guard always at the property. He also says that he even attended Robert Wagner's psychotherapy sessions with him and that Robert Wagner tried to help him financially and in his career in that he helped him break into the acting industry by like getting some small roles for him. Yeah, and he said that that happened because when reporters offered Dennis money to tell his side of the story, Robert Wagner warned him against taking the money and then instead, as you say, set him up with work, sent him checks and helped break into the acting industry. And that's Mm. what Dennis Deverne says. So that's 2000. That's one of the big pieces of journalism that came out about Natalie Wood. But then fast forward 11 more years and it's only then that something else comes out as well. Yeah. So in 2011, it was the 30-year anniversary of Natalie Wood's death and CBS Crime News Show, we've spoken about it already, 48 Hours teamed up to investigate exactly what happened on that night. They did a massive interview with Dennis. He appeared on the show. They also brought in details that maybe people hadn't seen altogether. What we know, I mean, it's difficult to see what 48 Hours did so differently to this Vanity Fair piece. But there is an argument to say that this TV show so effectively synthesised information that was already out there and made people care enough to put pressure on police to open this case back up. Yeah, exactly. I think that there was one or two key witnesses that were fresh in the 48 Hours investigation, but generally this is stuff that was kind of murmuring in the background Mm. for 30 years. So what we do know for sure is that the same week of the 48 Hours doco being released, the investigation was officially reopened. Police didn't give away a lot at the time, but they said that the sheriff's homicide investigators were recently contacted by persons who stated they had additional information about the drowning. Yeah, less than a year after that inquiry was reopened in August 2012, AAP reported that Natalie Wood's death certificate was actually amended. So instead of her cause of death being listed as accidental drowning, police changed it to drowning and other undetermined factors. Yeah, and the reason that the police say that they did this was partly because new witnesses had come forward since that 48 hours episode and partly because the presence of bruises on Wood's body that had been identified in the original autopsy. So we knew that there were bruises from the start. At the time, investigators said, well, perhaps this is a bruise from when she's maybe fallen on the boat and then fallen into the water. Now detectives were saying that the bruises made her look like the victim of assault. Which to the best of our knowledge speaks to how detectives or how people involved in these kind of investigations now can notice patterns associated with certain behaviours. So now, 30 years on, with the new information we have at hand, with the new knowledge we have of these kinds of bruises or these kinds of autopsies, the experts of today could look at that and maybe form a different picture to what we did 30 years in the past. Yeah, and we don't actually know if Robert Wagner was ever actually physically abusive to his wife. There is only ever 
one story or one example of alleged violence that we have. And it's from a former neighbour of Natalie's who was just 12 years old at the time who says they were woken by Natalie banging on their family door saying he's going to kill me. That was reported on 48 Hours, but that's really the only example we have or story we have of a relationship that might have been more abusive than meets the eye. Yeah, so this really reached fever pitch in 2018 when Robert Wagner was officially named a person of interest. That was when another 48 Hours episode came out about the case. At this stage in time, Robert Wagner is 88 years old when this happens and police can confirm that after 150 new leads that they've pursued... Robert potentially knew more about the night of Natalie Wood's disappearance than he first let on. Yeah, absolutely. The New York Times actually reported in 2019 that it actually could be quite difficult for Robert Wagner to be charged with much. This is their quote that explains why. Whether Mr Wagner can be charged with a crime isn't clear. Because of the statute of limitations on lesser crimes, murder is the only one that could be considered, the lead detective said. (sighs) So in a case like this that is 40 years old, to charge someone with murder, you have to be pretty sure that there was motive and intent to kill, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. You'd be more likely to go for something like manslaughter, but they're not actually able to do that because of the statute of limitations. Yeah, it's a feeling of hopelessness from both sides, whether that's proving Wagner's innocence or proving that he's guilty because it's very, very unlikely, almost impossible, that we would come out with anything conclusive. We're now, what, 2021, so 40 years after the death. How are we going to come across conclusive evidence that proves it either way 40 years on? Yeah, exactly. And I think this is the tough part about the story for both sides of Natalie's family, both Lana Wood, her sister, and her children, because they both believe very different things and neither of them are ever going to be proved true, barring a confession. Yeah, I almost feel like if this was more suspicious or darker than an accident, a deathbed confession is really the only way we'd get to the bottom of it. Yeah, but I feel like if it's not happened now with all of the public pressure, there's Mm. been a lot of public pressure. There's been many people who have wanted to dig into this story, many journalists who have. I just wonder if it's ever going to. I want to talk to you about Natalie Wood's kids as well because her two daughters really fundamentally believe that Robert Wagner didn't do this and I think that's a really important perspective to shine a light on. Yeah, I think it is, but I also I wonder in stories like this, how much do you trust anyone in the family or how much weight rather do you give anyone in the family's opinions? Because yes, it's true. Natasha, Natalie's daughter and Courtney, Natalie's daughter, both maintain that their father, Robert, is innocent. But I also don't know how much children who were raised by this man, this happened to them when they were under the age of 10. How much can they really have an unbiased perspective on this? He was their hero growing up. It's the same as Lana Wood, Natalie's sister, someone who is grieving a woman who was her best friend. How much can anyone remove themselves from the situation enough to have a completely untainted opinion? Well, I think when it comes to Natasha and Courtney, yes, you can say they were raised by him, but it also hasn't been in a bubble. Like there's been lots of articles and lots of documentaries made about this that they've had full exposure to that they could dig into if they really wanted to. One of the documentaries that we've mentioned a couple of times across these last two episodes is the HBO documentary. If you want more from this story, I would recommend putting it on because what's interesting about this documentary is it actually is created with Robert Wagner and the daughter's consent. So they are very much a big part of this documentary. And it is really interesting to watch them speak so highly of Robert Wagner when so many other people are trying to prove that he did this. Yeah, I'm trying to be fair to this documentary, but as someone who's watched it and also done 
a heap of investigation and research like you have and like our researcher Justine has on this story, I would say the HBO documentary almost feels like family propaganda at times when it comes to this. They almost throw out any rumour, any tiny blip on Natalie or Robert's radar and just discount it as tabloid gossip, which I actually don't think is reflective of the wealth of information out there. Well, the other thing that the family of Robert Wagner and the daughters of Natalie Wood try to do in this documentary is really discard Lana Wood as someone who wasn't very close with Natalie and who doesn't know what she's talking about. But what we found as well in doing some digging is that doesn't seem entirely true either. Lana Wood was a very vocal proponent of the Me Too movement and told the New York Times in 2019, I think the truth about Natalie's murder is very important to other women. You need to speak up to fraternal Hollywood and also understand the price that is paid for that type of life. Natalie paid dearly with her life. Nothing was done about that. Yeah, Lana Wood is pretty direct in saying that she thinks Robert Wagner had something to do with the death of her sister. And according to detectives who have looked at this case, Lana Wood is a credible source of information. According to the lead detective on the case, Lana has been, and I quote, indispensable and credible. He told the New York Times she is the one family member willing to cooperate in the investigation. And the claims that she wasn't close with Natalie seem to be pretty untrue. After the funeral, she opened a condolence note from someone called Don Feld, a famed costume designer who regularly worked with Natalie. And on that note was a sketch of a dress he had designed for Natalie for her final film, Brainstorm. On the back of that note, he wrote, Natalie thought you hung the moon. Yeah, for someone that Natalie's working with so regularly, you wouldn't think that he would reach out to the sister and say, Natalie thought you hung the moon. That's not just something you say to anyone. That's something you say to someone's person, like their life soulmate or their best friend. Like to say, Natalie thought you hung the moon means... Natalie thought you were the sunshine of her life. She thought you were epic and incredible and amazing. If they weren't close, someone wouldn't send this to her. Why would you even bother? Like, yeah, you might send a condolence note, but something that personal and that earnest just doesn't seem to be something someone would do. Well, the numbers aren't adding up. Like, this is, again, nothing seems to be making sense. If Natalie and Lana Wood were not close, why would she receive something like that? All of that said, though, and I'm sorry in advance for complicating this story even further, that's not to say that Lana Wood is the best witness ever or that her story has always gone in a linear direction, Zara. No, not at all. So there's a quote that she said to the South Florida Sun Sentinel in 1985, July 20, if you don't mind my birthday, not that it's about me at all. (laughs) Natalie's death was accidental. I don't believe in the new findings that crop up. Maybe the truth of the matter is I don't choose to know anything about those new findings. I think Natalie went to tie up the dinghy, slipped, hit her head, fell, drowned. I prefer to believe she died quickly. There's a terror to thinking someone you love has to suffer terribly to die. So this was three and a half, almost four years after her sister had died. And the message she was giving to the media was absolutely this was an accident. She continued, when Natalie died, I was in terrible need to talk to somebody. My doctor told me to put it all down on paper. Therapy was a necessity. The doctor told me to write down everything, good and bad. I was told to write down even things that were best forgotten. She went on to explain she was in a terrible mental state at this time and needed to work through everything. It's not adding up again 
Like we have claims from team pro Robert Wagner that don't add up. And then we have claims from the team Robert Wagner killed Natalie Wood that certainly don't add up either. Yeah, it's super confusing because it feels like they were close. There was also then rumours that there was a bit of friction between the sisters before she died. So is she the most credible source? I don't know. The quotes here at the very least, reading the ones from 1985 from Lana, reads to me not as a complete acceptance that she died by accident, but that perhaps Lana couldn't possibly think or fathom or imagine that there was a more serious way she died. Yeah, I agree. If you read into the context and kind of read between the lines, this does seem like a bit of self-preservation of I don't have the mental capacity right now. I'm not in a good enough space to even question what could have happened to my sister. Well, I think this is where we're going to find ourselves with this story anyway, is because as we said before, there is no way I really think that this perhaps will ever be resolved. I'm really just not convinced that after 40 years now, anything can properly happen. I think people can have their suspicions either way, but I'm not sure we'll ever know. I think it does really spark an interesting conversation about why we fixate on celebrity deaths so much and why there's been so much journalism in particular about Natalie Wood's death. I mean, her daughter, Natasha Gregson Wagner, posited the theory that humans struggle to say goodbye to the people they idolise. We treat movie stars as if they are superhuman. So the thought that they could be brought down by something as simple as an accident feels far too simplistic for us to accept as truth. Yeah, I wonder as well if Natalie Wood, the the mystery of Natalie Wood has really been hypercharged in the last decade because we are obsessive when it comes to true crime stories like true crime has been having such a moment for the better part of a decade and this is when the Natalie Wood narrative has kind of come to life again do you think there's anything in that no 100% I think it's that and then I also think there's an element of how much our conversations around the Me Too movement have changed particularly in Hollywood and now we're looking at a story of a woman who was very likely abused by very powerful men in the industry who may have been in very unhealthy relationships and looking at all with a really fresh lens to say, hang on a second, like a lot of this wasn't normal. This was all very toxic and very dangerous. Mm. Going back to what Natasha Wagner says in that she believes that this is just the public's inability to let go of icons. She does have a really good point. I mean, think to the names like Kurt Cobain, someone who is found to have suicided by police. And yet there's all these conspiracy theories that his wife, Courtney Love, killed him. And then think to like, Elvis Presley, someone who died of something as simple as heart failure and yet the Elvis Sighting Society was a massive story in the 80s and 90s because people were insisting that they had seen him out and about. And then you've got the likes of like Marilyn Monroe who died via drug overdose and yet people say she was assassinated by the Kennedy family. We really do have this tendency to give weight and platform stories that are absolutely fantastical because that's how the person lived. Which I agree with you to a point but I think what makes this story even bigger is that we actually don't know for sure how she died. Mm. Like the police are telling that as much. Like it doesn't really sit in the conspiracy theory camp because you've got so many people investigating this and so many people who are unsure. There does seem to be an element or a thread of very legitimate concern for what may have happened to her 40 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want people to think that I'm treating Natalie Wood's death the same as the Elvis Sighting Society. Like this is nowhere near baseless rumour or silly conspiracy theory. The police don't get involved with just any story just for the sake of it. Like we are absolutely sitting somewhere between rumour and genuine legitimate concern. If Natalie's own family is divided, it's no wonder that we are. That said, I'm very interested to hear what people think. I'm very interested to hear feedback from the listeners. As always, we will have a thread about this on our Instagram page that is at Shameless Podcast. 
click on the latest gallery of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner and tell us, what do you think? I think we all have different thoughts and feelings on this one and I'm absolutely keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. This episode was researched by Justine Landers-Hanley with help from you and I, Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. If you would like to support the show, that would be so lovely. You can click that big green follow button on Spotify or that purple button subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. And also one recommendation, go watch Splendour in the Grass with Natalie Wood. Well, yeah, that's true as well. Just before we go, if you do want more from this story, Watch that HBO documentary. Watch those two 48-hours investigations done by CBS. We will pop the link to the Vanity Fair article in our show notes. Robert Wagner, Lana Wood, Natasha Gregson-Wagner all have autobiographies as well that you can buy. There is so much out there that you can buy, read and consume. And if you want more from the story, it's all out there. Bye. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.